waiting for the coming storm. Welcome to Hand Pod 180. for the coming storm in more senses than one this evening in Buenos Aires because first of all there is a storm that's on the way and we're very much looking forward to it because it's still far too humid here to be mid-April and secondly shortly after we record in fact probably during this recording River Plate kick off their final group stage match in the Copa Libertadores 2015 and possibly if things don't go the right way it will be their final match in the Copa Libertadores 2015 we should explain precisely why a little bit later of course by the time any of you hear this, uh, you'll already know the result. So it's a bit of a frustrating time to record, but unfortunately there was no uh, potential recording time or day this week um, that didn't involve us missing at least one Argentine side, either qualifying or being eliminated from the Copa Libertadores. So this is what we're left with. Uh, I'm Sam Kelly. I'm joined this week by Andres Bruckner. Hi, hello. And by a Handapod debutante in the 180th episode by somebody who, uh, it, it's kind of a historic moment actually, because I think you're the first, or you're the second, uh, depending on whether we call Turkey part of Europe or not, uh, the, the second European, continental European to be on. So bringing an air of continental sophistication to this month's podcast, this week's podcast, uh, is, is a real life Dutch person. It's Remy Lehman. Remy. Thanks for having me. Welcome to Handapod. It's a pleasure. Um, Remy is, is a fellow. Uh, like me and Andres, a uh, River Plate fan and indeed played up member. Uh, we shall get the, uh, the partisan stuff out of the way first and the admissions, but he's mostly here uh, this week in particular because he's just been to Temperley, or well, not just, he went on Friday, uh, and he's going to tell us how that went a bit later. But first of all, I should mention a message from our sponsors. We're sponsored by the Argentina Independent, uh, a provider of wonderful uh, English language news, current affairs, sport loads of other stuff, all in English, about Argentina and from across Latin America. You can visit them free of charge on argentinaindependent.com. So please do so. And thank you very much to them for the Furnet, which as ever, we're clinking around our glasses. Um, We begin, as we normally do, (coughs) once I've got the page to load, because I forgot about this bit, with a quick summary of the last weekend's results in the Primera División before we go any further. They were Crucero del Norte 1, Atletico de Rafaela 1, Tempele 2, Colón 1, Godoy Cruz 2, Vélez Sarsfield 2, Gimnasia Prima La Plata 4, Aldo Civi 1, Rosario Central 2, San Martín 1, Racing Club 2, Huracán 0, San Lorenzo 1, Independiente 0. Moving into Sunday, Olimpo 0, Defensa Justicia 0, Banfield 1, Lanús 2 in the Clásico del Sur. Unión de Santa Fe, nil. Sarmiento de Junín, 1. Boca Juniors, nil. Nueva Chicago, nil. Argentinos Juniors, 1. River Plate, 2. Arsenal de Sarandí, 3. Newell's Old Boys, nil. Possibly. Bit of an asterisk hanging over that one, which we'll explain in a few minutes. Uh, Tigre, 2. Estudiantes de la Plata, nil. And Belgrano de Córdoba, 2. Quilmes, 1. Gentlemen, 
highlights of the weekend, aside from Rivers' game, obviously. Well, a lot of highlights. We have plenty of highlights this this week. We have the surprising surprising. You mentioned have just mentioned Boca Nil, New Chicago Nil. I think that's quite a highlight for for this weekend. Uh, with and not only for River fans, which <laughs> say it's one of the <laughs> well, apart from that, overall. I, I thought Boca would win, would win, and I am a River supporter. And we are all three of sub, River Plate supporters. What's the problem? There are there no European Boca fans, or what? What happens? Because uh, this podcast has been uh, what all the members you have been added, added are are were all River Plate fans and supporters, or well, Argentinos juniors like uh, Daniel Schwendler or, or Racing like. English Dan. Yeah, I'm, I'm on record as, as saying that uh, this uh, exclusion of Boca fans from Hand of Pod is not a, a policy that we have. They don't want to come here. I just can't find any that speak English. We've got one Federico who's weekly copied into the emails and he uh, never replies to them okay. after coming on once or twice. Well, um, so, yeah, it, it is frustrating and I would like to have more English speaking Boca please, fans. Please come, on. please. If you are a Boca Junior supporter and you speak English, please come to the, to the Hand of Pod. Well, uh, I, I thought Boca would have a comfortable victory against the last team in the table. In the uh, again, as, as has happened before, that Rosario Central and Rafaela played one each other, and they, they drew also uh, when Rosario Central was first position and Rafaela was in the last one. So well, in that case, did, uh, the, the result wouldn't shouldn't have surprised us. But indeed, no, that was next door's buzzer. By the way, not ours. Don't worry. <laughs> Carry on talking. No, your, your time's up now. <laughs> okay, I can talk now. Uh, so, so t- uh, taking into account that that result, uh, the Chicago performance against Boca shouldn't surprise. But indeed, it, it surprised because uh, Alejandro Sanchez, uh, I think his his name, goalkeeper of Chicago, was magnificent. Was tremendous saves. It was not like Boca didn't have, didn't have any chances to actually win because they got a, a lot of opportunities to to make the goals, but they simply didn't. Yes, the, the, they common, the common phrases heard by media was Boca didn't play well, but they had their chances, as you uh, you are saying, and, and when they didn't work, when they weren't accurate, there was the goalkeeper of, of Nueva Chicago to 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 frustrate their goal opportunities. And Chicago, by and large, obviously, although River, um, Boca inevitably created some chances, Chicago did a very good job, I thought, overall, of, yes. of frustrating them. And, um, you know, we, we often say on, on this podcast that Boca win matches without always looking particularly good. In the last couple of matches, they'd certainly started to improve. And ultimately, for a side, particularly with no disrespect men, but a side the size of Nueva Chicago to go to La Bombonera and get a result is a, a, a worthy achievement, so well done to them. It meant, uh, that result, that the chasing pack, as it were, had a chance to catch up with Boca. San Lorenzo had already done so on Saturday evening with a 1-0 defeat of Independiente, which was an interesting match. Independiente had plenty of chances early on and couldn't hit a cow's ass with a banjo. <laughs> Looks like it was a normal Independiente match since, I, I don't know, two or three matches ago that they start like 
when you start when they, they, the match kicks off you you think oh the will have great chances to win this match and then when the minutes go that sensation is like fades mm. they I mean it was abnormal in one sense which was that it was the first time that they hadn't scored in well it was the first time they hadn't scored in 2015 and it was the third time in the last 20 five league games which they failed to score um, independent as we often say are a very attack minded side they don't bother to defend too much um, and by and large it means that you can always guarantee at least that they're going to score and more often than not their opponents are going to score as well and so it's very unusual um, that, that they should fail to score San Lorenzo I mean we kind of mentioned this really last week as being a, a a match between supreme organisation on the one hand in San Lorenzo and Independiente just kind of throwing everything forward and hoping something sticks um, I thought that they were going to cancel each other out but San Lorenzo ended up just edging it um, so well done to them and as a result they go join top they're on 21 points along with Boca Juniors and also as well as Boca Juniors and San Lorenzo there are two other teams on 21 points those are Rosario Central who after three consecutive draws got a winner through Alejandro Donati the centre-back heading in a free kick with literally about 10 seconds of the four-minute stoppage time to go, and there was then another minute added on, um, to win it 2-1 against lowly San Martín de San Juan. Central looking good again, back to their best, what do we think? Well, we have to give them the, the uh, some kind of, well, they, they, they won it the first minute, the last minute, the last play of the match, uh, practically, with one of the, the other highlights, I think was Caudet crazy celebration, <coughs> having been sent off yes. already, walked all the way across the pitch because the tunnel is on the other side of the pitch from the uh, from the benches, and then didn't go down the tunnel. So he was still standing on the touchline when when the winner went in, and he ran onto the pitch. Reports say that they will they, that he will be given a, a, a hard or a long. Uh, a amount of matches of suspension because he was already sent off and he went to the into the pitch and celebrate the the, the late goal from Donati. The the difference between the matches you said and this one was only the goal, the late goal, which meant them win to win against the San Martino or or was something extra for for them to. I was impressed with the performance generally, but I mean the, the, they've been throwing away so many matches through taking the lead and then throwing it away, particularly in the second half. That when uh, whose equaliser was it? Let me just get this. Uh, Franco, Federico, Fernando, somebody Pompido. Let me get the proper. Federico Pompido, I think. Facundo. Ah, Facundo. Facundo Pompido. When he equalised with that header with about twelve minutes to go, you thought, well, that's his sobrino of. Neri Pompido. Ah, they're related. Okay. Yes. Sobrino being. I always get these ones mixed up. The the he's the son of the of his brother. And nephew. nephew. Yes. Good. Super. There we go. Um, and yeah, I mean, Central were well on top, but it just looked inevitable given how the three previous Central matches had gone. Um, but by and large, I, I really I thought before Donati's goal went in, San Martín were heading towards what would have been a lucky draw. Uh, rather than a kind of a really good performance in the kind of way that Chicago put in, let's say. They wouldn't really have deserved the point if they got it. So obviously it's hard to take. Central was slightly fortunate to get the win when it comes that late, but they deserved it, really. 
um, ultimately. And, and so they go joint top of the league as a result of that. And the other team, the fourth team, who are level on 21 points after nine matches, are River Plate, who managed the 2-1 win away to Argentinos Juniors, which I was at. Um, sitting on my hands, of course, because there are no away fans allowed. I was in the home end. Um, River were... I mean, it was River reserves, really. They, they were the slightly better of two fairly ordinary sides. Deserved win, but not a lot else to say from that. You two presumably saw it on television. Kavanaki's first goal to put River 1-0 up was offside, wasn't it? No, it wasn't. It wasn't? It wasn't the, far, the same line as the last defender. Okay. I think it was Matricardi, the, the, the right back, who, who was enganchado, as we say here, when he's... He went uh, went out late from mm-hmm. the from the from the back, and and that meant Kavinagi being at the same line he was. So it was perfectly. Mm-hmm. <coughs> it was okay. And his position was was good and and and, and well, uh, Goracito and all the bench from Argentinos were uh, very very annoyed because they they understood it was an offside and they didn't watch the TV I don't know if there was any there were the televisions I mean the reason that I was wondering is that there are TVs towards the back of the, the middle platea in Argentinos which is the stand I was sitting in um, and they showed the, the TV Publica broadcast so they were showing the replays which is a potentially dangerous situation in Argentine Stadium but there you go um, and I couldn't really see it very clearly I, I, so I thought that the replay had shown him off that's the problem you, you watch the, the replay and you can't tell even watching the replay that because the play was very, very thin, very slim, or slight difference between being or not offside. Yeah. So that well, the, the case is that he was, uh, his position was regular, was not offside. And, and uh, uh, but I, I I read on Twitter of someone, some account that uh, they like more this version of the team than the the one with. They seem, Rojas, uh, they seem Piculici. to have a little bit more to prove. They seemed hungrier to me. I don't yes. know. Remy, what, what, what did you think? No, what what I found most, <coughs> most interesting uh, about the match uh, last Sunday was that uh, the commentators on television were very fond of Barovero. Like, oh, he's safe today. Oh, he's such a good goalkeeper. And I, I mean, after all the... Well, he always makes one or two big mistakes during every match. The amount of points he has lost for River... It's amazing, but oh yeah! But at the same time, in some matches he really saves today. I mean, we all know the championship that that River won and the stop penalty in that championship where, where everybody said, "Well, that was the moment that he won the tournament uh, for River," and he made a few great saves against uh, Argentinos. But uh, for me personally, it's 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 astounding how much credit he he gets with with the team for like saving River because if I watch River matches, I, I don't feel confident uh, about uh, Barovero. I'm not so much occupied about River's Wars actually scoring, although during this season it has been a problem. But in general, I, I'm not too worried about it. But as soon as the ball enters the River's penalty box, I'm worried about, about uh, Barovero. We're going to have to get Dutch people on this podcast more often because you're living up to the national stereotype <laughs> of, of demolishing the uh, received wisdom here. I mean, this is fantastic. Um, Rivers outfield players what did you make because it was very much um, a, a reserve side Gabriel mm-hmm. Mercado played 
Obviously, they're saving players. Uh, the reason for this, we should explain, is that they're saving players for the match that's going to be kicking off in about half an hour uh, in the Libertadores, which is do or die for River. Gabriel Mercado played at right-back because he's suspended uh, for this evening's match. Um, Ramiro Funes Mori, uh, Matias Kranevitter, and maybe Ariel Rojas, and sometimes Gonzalo Martinez and Fernando Cavanaki. But really, Funes Mori and Kranevitter are the only... In this undisputed regular starters, mm. um, as well as obviously the suspended tonight Mercado, um, who, who started for River against Argentina. So, what, what did you think of the, the the players who came in? I mean, as I said, to me they just looked a bit hungrier. They looked like they had something to prove. No, I think doing because this is their their opportunity to shine if they want to prove uh, that they're worthy of the, the first team and that they deserve a place in the first team. This is these are the kind of matches they have to show it because if not. At that moment, when will they have the, the opportunity? And I think, of course, it's, it's a great challenge for River to be playing two tournaments uh, at the same time. I think every Argent- there is no Argentine club, I think, that has such a broad selection that has it as like an easy uh, uh, thing, like playing uh, multiple tournaments. Well, Boca is showing that it can be done, but... Okay, With it's a fairly questionable standard of opposition so far. Yeah, but, okay, so... Because of that, I think that uh, it's only natural that like the, the, the people that are normally on the bench, they try to give, give the, the best they have, and they showed it against Argentinos. But then again, I wasn't quite convinced that Argentina was like the upper side within the match. Of course, they had they had few they had a, a lot of opportunities, but I didn't feel comfortable at any moment during the match. Oh, this is going to be an easy river walkover because we have seen River play play this season, and it's it has never really been easy for River. Even if they're ahead, they get a goal against, and you see how the players get nervous, how they don't know how to... Uh, how, and, and how we like to dominate the game. We like to have possession all the time, because as long as we have possession, we control the match. If we control the match, we will win. I don't see the confidence in this river of like showing how to dominate the match and then making the goals. And I didn't see it with Argentinos either. And speaking of uh, players who come into the River team and have a point to prove, um, I remember working at Old Trafford for two seasons when I was at university and, and there were t-shirts on sale uh, regarding a, a player who'd just been signed from the Argentine League, from Independiente, and these t-shirts said, I saw Forland score, because it was such a rare event uh, that, that the fans wanted to, to market if, if they had seen Diego Forland score. In the stadium, I did on my, my first match working there. He scored two absolute belters against Aston Villa very late on, um, so I was lucky. But uh, I can now buy a T-shirt. I perhaps should manufacture it myself, saying I've seen Lucas Borges score, which is even rarer. His second goal for River in his I think 28th first team appearance, um, which for a forward isn't great going. Even though most of those have been coming off the bench. Um, he has he been took improving it very well. match after he's, match. The thing is, not, I like him as a player. He's a very good footballer. He just He's awful at shooting. I can't work out how he got put at centre-forward. Why isn't he out on the wing or a creative midfielder? He's got fantastic feet. He's decent yeah. enough passing. He can bring it down. He's a bit like a... He plays a he, kind of he could be, Fellaini-style like, deep-line playmaker at the moment, if you compare him I with I think United. he could play more like, for example, Riusi, who, who was a... We can say he's a former... Striker now he's a left midfielder and 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 he's he that will of Although course he was back up front against Argentina he was alongside uh, Kavanaki to start yes. that that will make him be less goal scorer and more playmaker <coughs> and I think Boche could 
perhaps do the same because he has the ability he has mm. plus he had the he's not selfish and that for a goal, goal scorer is not good because he, you have to be a bit more selfish yeah and, and well he uh, was he, he very very good the uh, uh, finishing from from him and uh, poor defense from Argentina of course uh, I, th- I think we should be glad that he actually played uh, this match because, if I re- uh, recall correctly, uh, he didn't like come after the match in in Mexico where he didn't play. If I'm if I'm not mistaken, he didn't get allowed into the country because he lost his uh, passport his or something like that. Boarding pass or, or his boarding pass, and he actually he didn't travel with the rest of the team. So he arrived a day later than the rest of the squad. Yes. So because to be very honest, um, I like Rivera a lot, but. I'm not. I don't know every single player. I don't know all the stats about all the players. And that was actually the first time that I that I ah Luca Boucher ah okay mm. ah one of the new talents. So I should really pay attention to him. And then like what was it three four days later he, he scored he scores against Argentinos. And if it wouldn't have been for the uh, for the news uh, article earlier that week that he didn't enter Argentina with the rest of the team, would have been ah okay well this he's pro he's playing for River. I wouldn't have noticed. Maybe your attention is is the missing ingredient that I think is needed uh, for the confidence. Right? I won't deny. Yeah, I won't deny that. Uh, rounding up the big five, we'll get back to River in the Libertadores in just a few minutes. Uh, but rounding up the the big five from the weekend, we've already mentioned Boca, San Lorenzo, and Independiente. Of course, played one another, uh, and we've just spent quite a while talking about River. Uh, Racing got a two 0 win over Huracan with again a Racing reserve team. Um, Really, and that was also because they had a crucial Copa Libertadores um, group stage game, also their last group stage game coming up, which they played on Tuesday night, and it was pretty entertaining. Um, and, and <laughs> should we talk about it now? Or should we talk about it later? Let's just mention it now. They went two 0 down five minutes or so into the second half, and again and there was a funny, very funny situation there uh, with nightclub Nunez. He's injured. Yes. Yes. But he's called injured. And mm. he wanted to go Sorry, on yeah. against Huracan, yes. And he wanted to go on playing because the the the, the one the, the assistance medical assistance uh, well they, they couldn't prevent him from going back to the pitch. And and, and after that they they <coughs> of course uh, uh, he wanted to make the, the analysis and, and it was proved that he had a, a ligament broken broken ligament and we'll have, of course, four to six months. Yeah. Uh, not so, se- it looks to be not so severe like the Matteo Musacchio. It injured. can't be that severe if he played the rest of the half and yeah. finished the match and scored a goal, can it? <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, and obviously the, the comparison that has been made is with Matteo Palermo, who scored against... Colón, I think. Yes, yes. that sounds right. Uh, with, with ruptured ligaments and then had a few months out after that. Uh, so get well soon, like Club Nunez. Uh, the other goal from that match came from from Nicolas Sanchez, um, and both Racing and Huracan were in Copa Libertadores action on Tuesday night. Racing, as we say, won three two after going two nil down to top Group Eight. Huracan uh, kept their hopes alive by getting their first group stage match, which was not a draw. After I think they played the first four games all finished all squared, and there was four draws they had. Uh, they beat Cruzeiro of Brazil. 3-1, very good performance. Two goals from uh, Wanchope Abila, the man who doesn't look at all like Paolo Wanchop, but is called Wanchop anyway. Um, and yeah, 
well done Orakan pick themselves back up both teams pretty much play a reserve lineup special offer performance from from Cruzeiro I think having the possibility to of course well the, you can you can be the you can lose as a away condition against an Argentinian mm. club but they, they were heavy favourites there's, there's still one game to go in that group and Cruzeiro would have topped the group I think for certain if they'd won the match obviously losing it throws, throws it wide open um, at the moment I think it's Cruzeiro on 8 points uh, who are the other team on Universitario Sucre have 9 I think Oh, do they? Yeah. Universitario's top. So it's like Universitario and yes. Sucre on, top, uh, on nine. Nine, Cruzeiro eight, eight. And Rodan on seven. And whoever else is, I don't think has any points. No, no, they've got one or two, maybe. Um, and the top two of that group are playing each other on the last day, if yes. I remember rightly. So Orakan, if they win their match, are going to, to qualify in one position or the other, um, regardless of what happens in the other game. So it's in their hands. Uh, other... Eye-popping results from the league weekend were, for me, Godoy Cruz against Buenos Southfield was an entertaining match. I wouldn't say it was all that surprising, the final result, but um, good good game. Uh, Gimnasia versus Aldo Civi surprised me because Gimnasia would have been rubbish for most of the season and Aldo Civi were in pretty good form. And In the half-time, it's 1-0 to Aldo Civi. Jose Sander scored the only goal. Aldo Civi were looking fairly good value for it. And Gimnasi in the second half came out looking like a completely different team. They just tore them apart. And Aldo Sibi crumbled at the same time. Um, this means some air to to Pedro Traulio. Mm. Not this. It's not the same situation that I, as a Pellegrino who has been fired. Two managers were fired. In fact. Well, no, one resigned and one was fired. Who was the one who resigned this weekend? I don't know. The, the one who is... Who is a new new manager of a new coach of Rafaela Estrada, former? Thank you. Yes, I've got Rafaela. Yeah, because uh, Roberto Sensini um, was was fired as well. He didn't resign. He was sacked. Uh, but that's week, I think. Yeah, but there have been right. So who is the other one? Because there were two managers who've lost their jobs this weekend. Uh, uh, Perazzo from Olimpo. He, ah, he, thank you. Well done. Yeah, he stepped down Perez, yes. voluntarily. Uh, whereas Mauricio Pellegrino, after the 2-0 defeat away to Tigre on Monday, was fired. He became the first managerial casualty at Estudiantes of Juan Sebastián Verón's presidency. He was not happy. He said that the directors didn't want to fire him. Because, well, they didn't want to tell him he was fired, and they insisted on spending about an hour just talking football with him before telling him. One hour, yes, before. Yeah. Um, and, and now I, I heard that Companucci, his assistant, Tried to communicate with him and he couldn't. That I he assumed he wants to rest, have some rest. And mm. uh, I think that this affected the Peregrino very much because he was sad. He was like surprised that I, he thought that the board members should have uh, let him be the coach for the last match of the. Yeah, which is actually something he said in the post-match interview after the game. He said, I've got a contract still, and as far as I'm concerned, I'm going to be um, in charge for the, the final Libertadores group match, which in Estudiantes' case is next Tuesday. I think it's Tuesday. Um, one thing that we should mention from that game, though, apart from uh, Pellegrino's sacking, was two, well, one decent goal from Lucas Wilches, and one astonishing goal from Leandro gonzalez Pires, who momentarily forgot that he wasn't Franz Beckenbauer. Um, sorry, we have a Dutchman present, so I should have tried to think of Ronald Koeman, perhaps. Um, and, yeah, I mean, fantastic run at the pitch, a 1-2 with, with the Ford and a 
cool finish for somebody who doesn't tend to score very many with his feet. Um, so well done to the former River defender and now Tigre defender. Um, Tigre deserved the win. Not much else to say about that one. Uh, Banfield, Lanús, the Clásico. Let's not forget, we keep on forgetting to talk about Clásicos on, on this season of Hand the Bottom. We've got a very big one coming up, so let's try and talk about this one a little bit. Both teams finished playing nine aside. Um, it was a pretty typical Clásico de Sur, really, wasn't it? Apart from Lanús winning, because Banfield actually do have the historical upper hand in it. Um, what did you make of it, gents? Well, it was a very fighting, very... Uh, well, the, the, the four, four centers... <coughs> It summarizes a bit what was the what the match was uh, uh, with a lot of friction. With uh, well, of course, when when sense of were uh, done, they they had a lot of space to to, to a lot of room to, to attack and and first Lanús was with I think uh, ten men and Banfield with nine and that made them uh, well to to. Attack easier and, and well, uh, uh, the second goal came by that way by the counter attack from, from I think Melano was the, the, the scorer, mm. and after that well, Buffalo went all the, all they 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 did they, they, they did all they could to to get the draw and they they couldn't. Uh, similar I think uh, style of play like they are used to, with but with no no accuracy. Uh, uh, so well, it was it is, uh, uh, like you said, a, a typical clásico de barrio. Um. Indeed, it was not, of course, the only match that took place in the Zona Sur in the Primera this week, and that's why Remy's here. Yes, quite an experience, uh, actually. Uh, living in the, the city of Buenos Aires proper, uh, I don't visit the, the Conurbano Sur that often, but uh, the temporary match actually. Uh, was a great excuse to do so. Is, is Temple? There's one of the stadia. I think it's Temple, is which is on a kind of little, almost an island in the middle of the, the Riachuelo, jutting out from the province into Avicia in the city. No, that's the, the San Telmo. That's San Telmo, Isla Maciel. No, no, but there's another because I know where uh-huh. San Telmo's ground is. Uh-huh. Temple is or, or whichever club it is, and they're in the Primera at the moment. Uh-huh. Actually, if you take the the bus from Buenos Aires down south, you take the 160, you. Uh, you take this one avenue and you, you go through uh, uh, Lanús and you go to Banfield and then further south you end up in Temperley, which is actually, uh, especially for the southern part of Buenos Aires, a quite nice suburb. Uh, I was there at night, so I couldn't appreciate all the beautiful buildings there. Uh, and also the tropical storm that uh, happened uh, mm. an hour before the, the match didn't help a lot, so I was actually... Uh, uh, trying to hide from the the storm in a, in a garage uh, two blocks from the from the stadium, but it, it's a very uh, it's a very residential area with nice uh, buildings. And what struck me most was that um, Temperley it's a very it's a club that's it, it exists I think primarily thanks to the fans that live in the, in the vicinity of the the stadium. It, I, as far as I know, it's the only Argentine professional football club that has actually. Been closed down to uh, because they had uh, they had debts that they couldn't pay. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've had many football institutions in Argentina that, that had uh, financial troubles, but mm-hmm. in the end they kept playing. Well, they, that wasn't the case for Temperley, and only uh, thanks because of six families uh, that uh, put uh, extra money in, they could survive uh, as a football club. And um, well, Racing, Racing for a moment was also Racing, uh, yeah, Bangor, yeah, yeah, they, 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 they didn't miss any matches. Uh, 
which was the case uh, for Temperley. Um, but uh, imagine this, I mean, uh, Temperley, a uh, southern, uh, uh, southern uh, suburb uh, with, uh, I would assume, like about maybe twenty to 30,000 fans, of which a third actually go to the stadium. Uh, they've been playing in Primera for the first time in, in 27 years now. For them, playing Prima Division, especially af- after playing the uh, B Metropolitana only a year ago, uh, it's, a, it's a fantastic experience for them. And everybody I met on the stand uh, this Friday night said, okay, we're very aware this is, that this is very special for us. This is something we try to enjoy it as much as we can, although we might not have the team to actually uh, maintain ourselves in the Primera División because they didn't have actual actual money to buy reinforcements for for the team. They're playing they're, with the with the same team. They, they are showing decent decent play, taking into account this that they have they got the promotion two consecutive promotions in one year two of them. So uh, it's it's not uh, easy to adapt first to the Primera B Nacional, then to first division, and they have a. Still, they have just won two two matches. The first one against Banfield, and we have mentioned here, and this one against uh, yeah. Colón. It was the, the first home win since they entered in, in yes. Primera. But uh, what I noticed during the match is that, I mean, you see, like, all the players, on the, they really want to prove themselves. Colón, they were there on the pitch, but they weren't paying attention at all. I mean, for me, it was like a classical match between... A gay, uh, between a side that, that is really enjoying playing in Primera, trying to make the most of it, and uh, a, a steady club that has been in Primera for several years, that is, eh, they're never like quite up top or on bottom, but they, they always make sure they, they stay suffer, suffer also a lot from the, their former president, uh, I, I, I forgot the name right now, uh, he was a, a, an alpha man also. Um, that they suffer a lot of uh, the financial pro- issues with fin- financial issues and, and and problems. Six or seven years ago, Colón was uh, almost, if you talked about the, the economical situation, like a big a big club. And now they are falling to pieces uh, because of, of, of these problems they have. And Temple, of course, they will be very enthusiastic to to be in Premier First Division and. Uh, we, we we are playing at home with against Boca. They had already played against Boca. Mm. These kind of things are, are are historic for them. For most of the supporters who are perhaps young and and they didn't even we are we we repeat it because it's true that one year ago they they were playing against I don't know Acasuso, Atlanta, uh, Atlanta, uh, Phoenix or whatever, and now they are playing against Boca River, uh, well, Colón, and they won. So well, it's it, there will be a, like a psychological component there. What I found interesting, uh, both goals of uh, of Temperley were the result actually of poor defending of of, of Colón. I mean, both goals, both goals, uh, the Colón defense actually they just handed over the ball to um, to Temperley just outside the the, the, the penalty uh, box. I mean, uh, Temperley got they got an early lead. It was only five minutes after they scored the first goal, and that really. Seem to motivate them uh, more. And before uh, the um, before the intertempo started, it was already a two 0 And only after that, I think the only moment that the Colón showed a little bit of strength was in the second half, in the in the time just before they they got the the penalty yes. because of a handball of a, of a temporary uh, defender. But it, but 
what I found very interesting I mean, in Cologne, they also need the points. They they don't they can't afford themselves the luxury of of even drawing against Temperley. They know these are the kind of matches they have to to win to maintain uh, to get the, the the average point that they need to, to survive in in the first division. Because we don't know what's going to happen next season with a new format. I mean, no, exactly. I mean, obviously, we we do know that at the end of this year there are only going to be two teams relegated, but it still hasn't been confirmed what's going to happen in 2016. We're almost certain that there's going to be another transitional championship and at the end of that championship there will be get four teams going down with two coming up but it could be six coming down and, and four coming up or any variation therein um, so yeah I mean it's it's really important for the, all of the newly promoted sides to get points on the board and Tempele are two points better off than Colón it's worth remembering Tempele have nine points from nine games so far and Colón have gotten uh, seven points from nine games um, so at the moment, I mean, those two teams, neither of them are in the relegation zone, looking at the relegation table. Of course, that can change pretty quickly. Um, but both of them clearly are going to be down in that battle. And for Tempele, how much of a relief was there around it? Because it was the first home win of the season. It was the first win since the opening weekend when they got that fantastic 1-0 away to Banfield uh, with the, the very kind of last dying seconds, the free kick from Juan Dineno, who scored the second goal. No? Yes, right. that's true. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, what, what was the sense like in the stadium when you know, finally getting a, a win in front of their own fans? People were ecstatic. I mean, I, I don't have any other word to, to describe it. Um, what, what I think is, is important to mention that right before the match uh, kicked off, there was this huge tropical storm. Uh, everybody was so, but still, uh, almost ten thousand people uh, uh, showed up uh, for the match. I mean, to, I don't know if you guys have been there, but the stadium hasn't got any roof at all. It's just a concrete stance, and and that's it. But there were ten thousand people uh, cheering their team there, and and I spoke to a few uh, fans, socios, and before the match, and they said, "Well, this is going to be a very tough match. We know Colón; uh, they've been playing Primera for a, a lot of time. We." which just got promoted, um, but we really do need the points. So as long as our team puts in the effort, we make a chance. Um, they, they thought a narrow win. Uh, I think every match, and in all the all the players, and, and mostly, uh, they, they like put the cassette, as you, uh, we say here, mm-hmm. that they say all the same, that uh, the every match is, is difficult, and all the matches, will have, they will have to take care of their, their rivals. In this case, Temple, in Temple is, is true. Every match will be difficult because they don't have a big structure, a, a, a very high budget. It's, uh, they have perhaps the same players or almost the same players that they had before uh, the, the way they were playing at the Primera B Nacional. So in this case, it's true. They will have very difficult matches. And a, a, a win, a victory is very, very important for them because they will believe, they will trust in their for their possibilities that they can that they can win matches um, what I really like about uh, Temperley's game is that uh, their forwards are very dynamic especially on the, on the right side uh, of the pitch you see a lot of movement I mean against Colón they always it looked like they, they had one person extra on the pitch especially on the right side and that really uh, well uh, confused the, the Colón defense I think that was the, the key to the victory over Colón that they couldn't organize their defense because there was always a temporary player, especially on the right side of the field, as I earlier mentioned, that was able to receive the ball, and that's how they they created their game. And what I do think what what temporary really has problems with is uh, now they know what it's like to be up front. They get nervous. They they feel the pressure of having 
having to win and I saw them handing over the ball various times on the midfield during uh, during the like the last 20 minutes of the match. So it was actually at the end because the result was only 2-1. It was a narrow win. I mean, I actually expected them to to draw because in the last 20 minutes uh, Colon had various opportunities to uh, to score. Yes, it's typical. They 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 perhaps win, they were winning 2-0 then there comes the, the the first goal of the the arrivals and and they get in into their box for 10 minutes they completely lost the plot yes. they they were they were in shock but after that they recuperated and then they knew how to to finish uh, the match but what i think is um, what convinced me more than actually the, the 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 play the game on the field was um, how the club's being run i mean they have a very young uh, uh, president of the club I think it's 30 something uh, years old and the most people I spoke that are actually working for the club are in their 20s or 30s I mean this is not not a club that 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 is being carried by people with a lot of experience uh, in football but that's been carried with a lot of people that really love the club that have got to know the club while it was in trouble and that have either put money or a lot of effort to make sure the the club is, is, is still there um, they're one of the few clubs in Argentine football that don't have any uh, debts, outstanding debts, mm -hmm. and they're very careful about what they're spending money. And they almost didn't use any money to uh, bring uh, new players, but they did invest in the stadium. I mean, they had just to get their match televised. They have to build new press cabins, and the people working there actually uh, offered me their apologies. Sorry, we can't offer you any coffee because we don't have money for a coffee machine right now. We just got promoted, so come back next season. We'll have a coffee machine for you. Um, but they were they were very welcoming and they were very proud playing in first division. And I hope for the people of Temperley that they, they will be able to to maintain the, themselves in, the, in this category. It's going to be interesting to see how they cope with, uh, as you say, the expectation of being in front and perhaps of playing a few teams who are closer to their own level as well. Because it has to be said, they didn't have the easiest opening bit of the season fixture-wise. I've got their fixtures in front of me now. They obviously started off with Banfield, who since that defeat have picked themselves up and are now very much in the title race. Uh, of the four joint leaders that we mentioned, they've played Boca and Central. Um, already so they've played two of those they've also played the defending champions Racing away from home uh, Tigre have started the season in, in good form um, and they've had to, to host Tigre they've played a couple I mean Olimpo and, and Atletico de Rafael and Crucero del Norte they, they, they've played all those they've picked up uh, two points from those three games but now beating Colón and now there's a kind of a bit of a change in how the fixture list goes because having had that difficult start four of their next five opponents are teams who were playing in the second division a year ago and three of those four uh, just came up just in this last lot in, in December, January with uh, with Tempele. They, they've got Defensi who was this year who of course came up six months ago um, next and then they have San Martin Estudiantes who of course are well established Primera side and then Huracan and Nueva Chicago uh, before the fixtures get a little bit more difficult to get with Lanús River Independiente so a lot of the newly promoted sides well indeed a lot of the sides full stop because of how the fixtures work here have these kind of runs where they're going to have a load of easy fixtures a load of more difficult fixtures and of course easier more difficult varies depending on how good they are Boca for example are about to come into a whole load of fixtures that are going to be a lot harder than the fixtures that they've had up to this point um, which we will mention in, in a little while, um, perhaps, or, or maybe next week. Um, 
And so for Temple, it's going to be interesting to see whether they can keep this run up now because the next sort of four of the next five games, let's say, are games that they've got more of a chance of getting points at than they did against Boca and Racing and Central. And equally, those points are going to be worth a lot more because it's going to mean the direct rivals are picking up points um, in the relegation race. It's going to be interesting to see. Uh, using Temple, of course, as kind of an illustrative example of, of, of how this, this stuff works uh, because we're about a third of the way through the season now. Yeah. Do we what, have anything else to... Um, well, what I think is especially clear when it comes to this new tournament of 30 teams that like what your fixtures are like depends very much on which team you are because mm. uh, uh, aside like temporarily I think out of the, the like the, the traditional top five they play I think three or four away matches so for them it's it's, it's a much harder to I mean they play Sa- San Lorenzo away they played Racing away already they River, River away. away and they've got San Lorenzo away on the second last match yeah you're quite right they hosted Boca and they're going to be there for a home to Independiente so and and if you take also into account they played Crucero del Norte, which is a, a long time from it's it's far away from from uh, from Buenos Aires. So I think especially for the for the smaller uh, clubs that don't even have even have the the financial resources, uh, nor like the the I mean, enough players to be able to switch because they're playing maybe two matches a week or playing far away. It's hard for these teams to to maintain the same level of, of performance. Um, so I think that was one of the main criticisms that came when the when the new tournament was introduced. That it's not a level <coughs> playing field. Some teams have an easier competition uh, uh, than others, and I think for temporarily it's going to be going to be very hard if you play one of the most of the toughest sides away. It's going to be very hard. Absolutely. Um, I think we're going to take a break now. We're going to refill our glasses. Uh, we'll just mention very quickly that as we're talking, uh, River against San Jose and Juan Aurich versus Tigres Reserves um, have just kicked off. That's not Tigres of, of Victoria here in Buenos Aires. It's Tigres mm-hmm. of uh, Monterrey, aren't they, in Mexico? Yes, the plural of, of Tigres. Yes, Tigers rather than Tiger. Um, and what River need, I mean, again, you'll know this by the time you hear it, really, but in case you don't, in case you hand upon the only link that you have with Argentine football news, what River need is a River win and a Juan Elrich not, not win, basically. They need Tigres reserves to pick up a draw or a win uh, in Peru. We're not going to talk about it too much because we'll have finished recording by the time this match ends anyway. Um, so I'm going to play some music now. When we come back, uh, we're going to have a little bit of history, which this week is going to be presented to us by Andres. So don't go anywhere. Six minutes now into River versus San Jose and also into Juan Aurich versus Tigre. They both kicked off at more or less the same time. Both games are still goalless at the moment. And there has been some anger from River uh, fans and media in particular and, and a certain amount from the team at Juan Aurich for fielding a very much reserved side. They're not playing any regular starters at all and they're not even fielding a full bench. 
Um, because they're guarding players, uh, guarding, saving players, resting them for the weekend when they have their big classical. They've already qualified, uh, not Juan Alrich, sorry, Tigris, um, against Juan Alrich. And what River need tonight is River need to win and Tigris, basically, River need Tigris to win as well, or to get a draw. So River are rather angry with this. Um, and I think it's a bit babyish because River, towards the end of last year, had a Super Clasico in the Copa Sudamericana semi-finals and put out a reserve team against Racing, of course, in the league, which ultimately uh, resulted in a 1-0 Racing win and Racing went on to win the title. And in so doing, therefore, River were um, damaging uh, the chances of Racing's closest opponents in the league to, to be able to win the title. Now, as it happens, Racing's closest opponents were River, they were shooting themselves in the foot by doing it. But I think it underlines, if they're prepared to do it to themselves, and they'd have done it if the second-place team had been Independiente or Boca or anybody else, they'd have still put out a reserve team in that match. And so now, for them to be complaining so much about Tigres doing pretty much the same thing um, seems to me and, pretty and, ridiculous. And, and apart I mean, from that, it, it, that, that means if, not, 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 uh, you have to look for what, what, you, what you do, not exactly. also... River are probably going to go out tonight, and it's not going to be because Juan Alrich beat Tigres tonight. <laughs> there have been five games already. Uh, but that's all we're going to say. The history section, uh, this week we're leaving behind the normal habit of talking about um, a, a footballer or uh, in future we'll be covering uh, major events and, 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 and perhaps uh, long disappeared clubs and whatever as, as various anniversaries come up. Uh, this week is, is a slightly different one uh, because you can't really be a serious... Uh, piece of media in sorry they popped up the, the match in the other match in the corner there and I thought a goal would be scored or something um, you can't really be in a, a serious media covering South American football never mind just Argentine football uh, without this week paying some kind of homage to Eduardo Galeano um, who died on Monday yes yeah I was going to say Sunday then but it wasn't um, and Andres has of course grown up in a world uh, in which Eduardo Galeano has been much more influential than that in which uh, Remy and I grew up although I'm sure, well I can certainly say I'm a big fan and I'm sure Remy is as well uh, so Andres is going to lead this week's Handapod tribute to a great writer Yes, he died at the age of 74 in Montevideo uh, um, and yes, he, he had he, football in his veins and one of the uh, great books he wrote was in fact, uh, the open veins of Latin America, but uh, uh, it's remarkable how how he used to talk about Maradona and well, in this time, last times Messi, but uh, he he celebrated all the time. We we criticize Maradona for what he does and the things he uh, he does uh, or he had been doing after he retired, uh, talking about his private life and that. And, and, and Galeano constantly celebrates, well, uh, this goal for, for Tigres against Juan Aurich, right? For Tigres and for River. Yes. So now River has to win and, and this is it. Carry on, Andres, sorry. Uh, no, well, he, he, Galeano constantly celebrated Maradona's irreverence against established power and his challenge against bureaucracy, uh, something Maradona took responsibly, responsibility for. Though he, he could tell it was un, un, understandable to work 
as a god in, in all the stadiums. But uh, from the beginning, Galeano thought that Maradona knew it would be impossible to live. To. He like he was a god, and, and and even though it was impossible to be that uh, well, a god in in all the stadiums, he he is like like for Galeano was his 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 full time job uh, of Maradona. Uh, and apart from that, uh, he said he, he carried the ball tied to his feet. That's that's nothing new. A lot of people thinks that, but uh, that's something Galeano thought too. And about Messi, he said that it is very very impossible or it's impossible to to understand to explain uh, from the point of view of science. But he had a, a ball inside his feet, so. It's, something Galeano thought about, about Messi, right? Uh, and, well, uh, about football, he he suspected or he thought that the ball was a, a burning sun and that the world spins around the ball. It's like he, his entire life or, and his entire uh, way of life was dedicated to football and he, ha he had to, to write because he wasn't good with, the, with his feet. He wasn't good and he admitted he was very, very bad uh, playing football, so he had to, to write. There was nothing to do about that. Um, and, well, he used to repeat what a German theologist told him when she asked how she would explain to a kid what happening, what uh, happiness was. And she said, I will try to explain it. I will give, give him a ball for him to play. So, all, re all related to football, to the ball, and, and, and that stuff. Uh, so well, uh, one of the of his most remarkable or most famous books was uh, "Football at Sun and Shadow," and uh, he he released that book at 1996, and it was a book that pays tribute to football and denounces the structures of one of the most profitable businesses, and and he al always defended poor towns against the the rich ones, like try to make them equal and. And, and he never explained. Never could. He never could explain how, for example, in Uruguay, his his uh, home country was the size of the country was like São São Paulo or, or Buenos Aires, for example. Uh, and they sold so many players to, to, to Europe, and, and they well, they had the same perhaps opportunities or 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 or, or uh, players sold to Europe even though they were a very very small small country talking about the the, the, the land of course uh, and well uh, his entire life was dedicated to football and, and, and writing and, and uh, he also thought that uh, that technocracy of professional sport has been imposing a pure speed football and strength that refuses joy, joy and Atrophies, fantasy, and bands daring. So uh, it was very, very, very poetical, of course. And I tried to maintain that <laughs> that style, which is uh, very, very, very nice to, to read. And, and well, uh, we are like well, it, this is our uh, our uh, very uh, small tribute we pay to to, to his death, right? He lived in Buenos Aires for various years because yes. he was exiled from Uruguay, right? Yes, he was a national national supporter, and he yes, Montevideo based, and he lived here also.
Um, but he was exiled because there was a dictatorship in Uruguay, and he was, I mean, as well as being yes. a great football writer, he was also, as under says, a, a proper journalist. He, he wrote, uh, I say proper journalist, uh, he, he wrote um, a history book, which I've got up there on the shelf, actually, that's Menos um, Abiertas, which I haven't read, but it is on my book. You should, you should so, read it. Uh, so it's that worth that, it. That's it's, a book. it's there so that I can look <laughs> well read. That's a book that is, talks more about politic, po- politics and, and, and social and economics, and how, yes, as I said, poor. Uh, poor countries are, were like uh, uh, tied to what rich countries did. It was like the the rich countries. Well, it happens today also. But how in history he tried to uh, refresh what history uh, uh, told us about yes rich countries against poor ones or how poor how they exploited Latin America above yes. all. Yes, and and that of course. Uh, carried into into football, which is more or less uh, the same. The European clubs that buy players at the pl- price they want, and, and the overlap between the two, because of course in football, in Sun and Shadow, that there's a, a one chapter for every four years. He mentions the World Cup, and from uh, 1958 or 62 onwards, I'm forgetting the date of the Cuban Revolution. Now, uh, one of the sentences. Tigres have scored again. We should say the whilst Andres was talking, uh, Juan Elrich equalised and now Tigres have scored again. So they're now 2-1 up. River is still drawing 0-0. So for the moment, as it stands at the moment, Juan Elrich are going through still. Uh, but apparently we've got the TV on mute, obviously, and apparently the first Juan Elrich uh, Tigres goal was celebrated in the Monumental as if River had scored themselves. Um... What was I saying? There's one sentence in each of these World Cup previews which says, prior to the World Cup, uh, reliable sources close to the CIA assure the world that the the fall of Fidel Castro is imminent. And it says it every four years. That That's the final, I think it's the final sentence anyway, um, for each of the, the uh, bits about the, the political situation in the world prior to each World Cup. Um, and so that's kind of, obviously it's one example and it's a recurring example, which I presume... Has, uh, has not happened in the more recent editions. I've, my most recent edition was before the most recent World Cup. Um, and it, it kind of it shows you how he does tie this stuff in with the outside world, how, how football is, is part of his, his whole worldview. Um, as does the famous quote about being a beggar for good football and going cap in hand and pleading. Yes, he always defended the, the, the players or the people that... Uh, uh, Perhaps we should criticize, like for example, Garincha, uh, or, or the same or Maradona, uh, who said he, he was like a god, like a, like like he looked looked like us. It was like a god, but looking like like normal people because he was. He said he was a, a, a ladies' man, a blabbermouth, big eater, reckless, liar, and boastful. But uh, for him, it was like it's okay. It's Maradona. No, there's no, no problem if he's a ladies man, a blabbermouth, or or whatever, because he, the, the 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 what he did with the ball in their feet, in his feet, was enough. Uh, you you could ask more more from him. So, yeah. which is quite different from how I mean a lot of Europeans view Messi. Like what they always stress is like, no, he's not only a great footballer, but he's also very modest and he doesn't he does live an extravagant life like many other famous football players. Uh, Yes, he yeah. was all, all the time like well, but he's he was so good with the with playing football that his his job was that now you 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 can't ask for from him anymore and 
and she tried to explain that. Yeah. That's, that those kind of kind mm. of things. I read the Fuba Solisombra, I think, about five, six years ago. My copy is actually in Holland. I haven't got it here with me. Um, but a few, less, a few years later, I read uh, a Dutch uh, book about Argentine football. And I could just see how they use the same structure, the same poetic sentences that Galliano used. So they actually kind of copied uh, Galliano. Let, let's say ins- they were inspired by, by, by Galliano's uh, work. And how different is the discourse in, in, in the Netherlands compared with, with, with how it is here? Because uh, obviously uh, I'm assuming that... A, 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 pretty large portion of regular hand of pod listeners in the English speaking world are more likely to have read uh, Football in Sun and Shadow than the typical English football fan is because if you're listening to hand of pod then you're interested in Latin American football and so on but what I don't and I know that uh, his way of writing in Football in Sun and Shadow and in uh, about football more generally is obviously a lot more poetic than most English or or British football writers uh, talk about it but what I don't know for instance, which you can give us an idea, Remy, is how does it compare with um, with the Dutch way of talking about the game, which is, again, very different, more confrontational, let's say, but is it as poetic as, as Galliano tried to make it? Or? No, uh, unfortunately, I think that also has to do with the Dutch language, and that it's, it's, it's rather straightforward and not as poetic as the Spanish language. I really think that makes a difference. But I think it has to do with Dutch culture. I mean, in Holland, we like to play beautiful football. Uh, maybe it's even more important than actually winning. Uh, but we like to think in structures. We like to write in structures and we like systems. We don't like so much individuality. And I think that what Galliano sets apart, I think, Andres, your, your example of how, the, how Galliano writes about Maradona as this, like a, a lone soldier, a, a genius that, has, that also has his flaws. I mean, the way Galliano puts emphasis on individual qualities, uh, a Dutch writer would emphasize team effort yes. and how how the Dutch team uh, has has had its successes, not because of one or two players that are magnificent. No, they played as a team. In so Holland, we'll say that Argentina failed to won, win the World Cup, even though that Messi was brilliant and, they, and he carried Argentina to the finals, perhaps, that yeah. way. Uh, when I think of like great Dutch coaches, they always emphasize team efforts. I mean, Louis van Gaal, I mean, he has his way of, of speaking, especially in English, I think. <laughs> Sam, you can elaborate a little bit on, on that later. But um, it's always team efforts. Don't exaggerate the role of the individual uh, because it's always about the team and the system, not about individual qualities. Even if, for instance, a Robin or a Van Persie score a goal, that's great, and we Dutch, we celebrate, uh, as we did in the last World Cup until we played Argentina, of course. Um, but still, it's the system that's the, and not individual uh, individual qualities. It's interesting that Van Gaal says that, because to me, the semi-final last year seemed very much like two teams who were both set up with at least one eye on the opposition's star man. Argentina were very wary of Ayam Robin, and the Netherlands were probably even more wary of Lionel Messi, for understandable reasons. Um but you know it's interesting that Van Gaal says that but then when it actually comes to it if the opposition have got somebody as good as Messi um, it, it, it's sometimes another matter obviously that obviously speaks to, to Van Gaal's pragmatism and, and it's one of the reasons that he's such a great manager um, but yeah I, sometimes you know when, when people actually in the sport and currently involved in the sport say something like that I think well, that's, uh, does that match up with what they do 
I, I mean, your discourse doesn't have to be in line with what you actually do. I mean, those are two different things. Um, you can be uh, a very good football player in Holland, and as long as you don't act like one in your private in your private life, it's not. You can in Holland. Let, let's let's take it to a more societal view. In Holland, you can be a rich person, but you're not supposed to flaunt mm-hmm. your wealth. I think that's you can why be very rich, but don't buy a Mercedes. Just act normal. I think by that way. That's that explains the way of living or the way of thinking of perhaps Dutch people is why or we can take that into whole Europe why a, a, a very talented good talented player that plays here in Argentina has to go to perhaps I know Italy Spain or, or could be Holland and try not to make those perhaps nutmegs and places that are beautiful for for the eyes but not effective. And they have to adapt to a different system, different teams, uh, and then they are like they change more or less their way of playing because of well they have to be different because they are paying a lot of money, and, and not, I I don't say they don't, they don't play for free here, but it's like very very different, and they have to to do different things because the team is more important than they they are not mates and. Mm. You can also see it in, in the playing style. I mean, even for Argentine defenders, on uh, the uh, Temperley match last Friday, uh, I saw centre back uh, like trying to pass by uh, a Cologne uh, attacker with the ball on his feet. I mean, you can't do that in Holland. Well, again, your look, feet get chopped off by the coach if you try. Look at Alexis Pires goal for Tigre on Monday night. Um, this is one discussion that I can't really say very much about my own country in because. England has neither the system <laughs> nor the individual talent, so I'm just going to shut up. Um, we will move on now, however, to listeners' questions. We have only had a couple this week. Um, if you ever do want to send them in, remember you can tweet them to Pod or you can email me, uh, but it's probably easier from my email address, given that it's quite complicated, to just hit the Pod contact form on handapod.wordpress.com and go to About the Team um, on there. The two questions that we have had are first of all from Martin Conterio who asks Will Boca win the league? It's a long way to go still. Yeah, we're only on the third of the the, uh, the competition yet. Um, let's see what happens in June when the transfer market opens again. I mean, Osvaldo has been a very important player for Boca uh, during this season, not just uh, goal-wise but giving the, the team confidence um, being a leader uh, on the pitch, yeah, not only on the pitch but also off the pitch. But even I think the uh, the the Boca uh, uh, commission of authorities have already said, well, it will be hard for us to to keep him on during during the entire season. Mm. Uh, I think the main challenge for Boca will be to make sure that Osvaldo stays, and if not, um, how to maintain uh, the team as coherent as it has been. Until they haven't been playing that great, but Osvaldo has been able to. To make a difference for the for the team, I don't yes, know what you the, guys. The other think. thing is, as I said, Boca's fixtures uh, coming up are about to get a lot more difficult. I'm going to bring them up now so that we can uh, give you a proper list. So far this season, in the league alone, we're not going to include the Libertadores, although they did have an easy group as well in the Libertadores. Uh, Boca played Olimpo Temperley, Atlético de Rafaela, Defensa y Justicia, Estudiantes Nuracán. They beat all of them, and they've played draws against Colón, San Martín, and Nueva Chicago. Um, now, right now, after nine matches, the highest placed of those teams in the league are Estudiantes, and Estudiantes are 16th. Um, in other words, Boca haven't played anybody who's currently in the top half of the table. And Boca's 
next few matches are away to Lanús this weekend, at home to River Plate, away to Independiente, and then they have a, a little bit of a, a dip again and a, a few more tricky ones. But they've got a few games coming up now where they actually have a test. Um, and, you know, we've been saying for quite a bit of this year, River haven't been playing at the same level as they were last season and so on. But that's coming down from a very high level. And River are still joined top of the table and it's still a classical. Even if River were playing awfully, a home match against River for Boca is a lot of pressure um, and so on. So in two to three weeks' time, I think we'll have a better idea personally uh, and with so many other sides I think that the one of the four who are currently joint top um, who I don't think are going to win the Liga Central just because they've not done it in such a long time they haven't got the experience and I think at some point they're bound to fall away that's not to say I don't think they're going to have a good campaign but they would be the ones who it would be most surprising ultimately this is the Argentine League and it wouldn't be especially surprising if none of those top four won it if Banfield ended up winning it or <laughs> Lanús even or, or even Estudiantes who are currently mid-table um, but Boca winning it uh, they're, you know, they're going to be among the favourites we said that at the beginning of the year because they, they strengthened well um, but at the moment the taunt that's going out from a lot of people is that they haven't played anybody yet so let's wait until they've had a few actual competitive matches well, what is uh, what we can say about the uh, how the, the tournament is going is that uh, as Sielinski said some time ago the tournament appears to be for for the big teams mm. at least three of, of them are, are there River, Boca, San Lorenzo uh, and appear to be more fav- favorites but we, we are as, as he said the uh, one uh, third part of the of the tournament is gone and a lot of 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 rounds to go, but uh, we we can say that that well. Uh, Although having said that, and this is again where I take issue with something a manager says after mentioning Louis van Gaal and what he said and what he actually did in the World Cup semi final. Zielinski's uh, side are in fifth place, which sounds like it's miles away, but of course the top four are all level on points. So Zielinski's side are only two points off the leaders. Um, so, so far, Belgrano aren't doing too badly either. And they've played... They've played River because they lost to River. They've only yes. lost two games and one of them was against River. Um, and they've also played Lanús already. They've played Independiente and beaten them. Um, they've played Newells, who are very up and down so far this championship. So they've not... Uh, the rest of the teams are, are a lower level. They haven't had the, the most difficult run-in. Um, sorry, run-in, beginnings of the season. But neither of they have one that's quite as easy as Bocca's. And they're two points of worse off than Bocca. And so that's where you kind of start to realise that, OK, very much at this point in the Championship, as I was saying with Temple earlier as well, there are some sides who have had far harder run-ins uh, starts of the season than other sides. And therefore at this stage, and I'm not saying it just, just because it, it's Bocca, there are other teams as well who have played notably fewer difficult games than especially some of the sides at the bottom Crucero del Norte and um, I'm trying to remember without looking them all up but I think it's Atletico Rafael or somebody they, they've had some pretty difficult fixtures for newcomers or relative newcomers to the Primera um, and so it's inevitable that they're lower down the league so at the moment although we've played nine matches we've had a third of the championship there's still a sense for me that the league table at the moment doesn't tell the whole story of how good all of the teams are. It is going to take at least another couple of months, I think, before we really get an idea of how good everybody is in relation to everybody else, purely because 
some of the sides haven't played any difficult matches yet, and some of the sides haven't played any easy matches yet, um, and so on. So we shall see. The other question that we've had makes reference to a point that we've forgotten to bring up, because we did mention that Mauricio Pellegrino had been sacked by Estudiantes, but what we did not mention is that a few hours ago, Gabriel Milito was named as his successor. Gabriel Milito is the new manager of Estudiantes, and Lawrence Hart wants to know, probably too late for this week, but no, Lawrence, you're not, so well done. Do you think that Gabriel Milito will try to sign his brother? And then he says, tongue-in-cheek, obviously. Uh, it would be an interesting signing, particularly given that, of course, Gabriel is very heavily linked with Independiente, and uh, Diego is currently <laughs> very much a key part of Racing's team. Uh, it would be quite a surprise. Um, but more to the point, I think let's, let's take Lawrence's uh, point and, and, and run with it a little, a little bit. It's Gabriel Melito's first job in management, um, at least in first team management, because he's been in charge of, of Independiente's reserves. Do we know anything at all about Gabriel Melito as a manager? No, no, no. He, uh, about reserves, uh, the, the most uh, important thing is that he, 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 he ended his contract because he had difference with the board and and not not I don't have very much reference about his job in in terms of results and and, and that uh, but uh, it looks like Estudiantes wants to bet uh, or risk a bit because uh, uh, I think Pellegrino when Pellegrino assumed as a as a coach of Estudiantes he didn't have also he didn't have very much experience. Mm. As a coach, and in this case, Milito is his very first uh, experience. Uh, and talking about the, the the question, if if Gabriel will send will will sign try to sign uh, Diego, uh, they they play together in the national team because they were all the time of of course facing one each other because one if one is, Diego is uh, identified with Racing and Gabriel with. Independiente. So that, that if that happens, it will be the second time they 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 are together in a, in a team. One of us as a coach and the other as a as a player, of course. Yeah, um, Mauricio Pellegrino just looked up his uh, managerial because I knew he managed somebody before. I couldn't remember who it was. He was boss of Valencia uh, from May 2012 until. Uh, There we go. May 2012 until the 1st of well, December 2012. So, I mean, a fairly unsuccessful uh, spell before he took over Estudiantes. He's been boss of Estudiantes for about two years and... Two years and nine days he lasted in charge of Estudiantes, which in Argentine terms is a pretty impressive run. Uh, um, but it, it awaits to be seen what will happen next. I still think, as an aside, that Pellegrino is going to eventually turn out to be a decent manager, although... He had a fairly tricky introduction to life with Estudiantes. Um, but given the time, eager to learn, perhaps not yet as impressive as, say, Marcelo Machado has been, as Aro Barrena or, or Barros Galotto. But he's one of those that new generation of Argentine coaches who I think are going to go on to do good things for me. But isn't it a mistake, at least for me it is, a mistake to, to sack a manager who is about to play uh, the last game or the last match of... It certainly makes it, it makes, makes it more difficult for Milito next week, doesn't it? Because at the moment, we don't know yet. We should say that Milito's going to be unveiled in a press conference on Wednesday. It would have happened by the time this is online. Um, but we don't know yet whether Milito's going to be in charge on Friday. 
against uh, their hope to Rosario Central. So again, that, I mean, that's not a particularly easy match to have as your first game in charge either. Um, or whether he'll be in charge for Tuesday's game against Barcelona de Ecuador. Um, it's good that, isn't it? He's a former Barcelona player and his potential first match in charge is going to be against a different Barcelona. Um, <laughs> but uh, So we don't, we don't know yet which game he's going to be in charge of, but neither of them are, are particularly easy. Okay, the central one you'd say that there's not that much pressure on, but the second game in charge at most, and potentially his debut, are going to be a lot of pressure. Because yeah. part of the reason that Pellegrino's been let go is that the Libertadores campaign's gone badly and that they're... The, their classification, uh, the qualification, sorry, is in the balance, um, and so that that really doesn't help to take the pressure off the new man when he first comes in, and it's got to be. Yeah, that's why you say for them, it's well. The, the, of course, you you don't want the coach anymore. You you, you can't pretend you like him, but uh, well, come on, it's last game mm. of, the, of the group stage. So <laughs> to cha- give uh, to make a, a so uh, deep change uh, when there is uh, only one game missing. Uh, for the group stage is weird at least for me absolutely yeah, they're probably trying to like get some of a shock effect like okay yes, now with yes. the new coach the players they feel they have new confidence they'll put their best uh, f- uh, they'll put their best foot forward and maybe we'll have some result we shall see uh, we'll be back next week to tell you whether Mauricio Pellegrino has taken charge of an Estudiantes match yet and if he has then which one uh, then how it went um, well no in fact by the time we record next week he would have taken charge of his first Estudiantes game because they're playing in the Libertadores on Tuesday and we'll be recording on Wednesday next week um, the next music ladies and gentlemen that you hear is Mystic Sam's theme music because we've reached that time again where I tell you all of the things that aren't going to happen this coming weekend weekend um, so I'm not going to tell you I'll look it up and it'll be on the you board you didn't get the temporary I didn't get the temporary one though um, this, this weekend we have the following matches and they're going to turn out the following way Estudiantes de la Plata against Rosario Central is going to be a Rosario Central victory Sarmiento versus Arsenal de Sarandí is a Sarmiento win we didn't mention Arsenal oh. uh, the asterisk I'm going to talk about that very briefly afterwards Huracan versus Tigre is a draw. Defensa y Justicia versus Temperley, I think, is going to be, first of all, under two and a half goals. And secondly, I'm going to go for a Defensa y Justicia win. Sorry, Remy. Uh, Independiente versus Argentinos Juniors, I think, is a draw. Vélez Sarsfield versus Gimnasia y Acrima La Plata. Vélez are going to win that one. Gimnasia, it's worth saying, were very impressive in the second half. the other uh, last weekend um, but two of the goals came from Antonio Medina who was indisputably I think the man of the match uh, and he's injured he's out for a, about a month uh, with a thigh injury so that's going to be a big loss for them Belgrano versus Crucero del Norte is a Crucero del Norte away match so I'm not even going to tell you how that's going to go Nueva Chicago it's a home win basically because Crucero del Norte is shit um just pausing for a second there because San Jose almost scored. It's worth mentioning, by the way, everybody seems to have forgotten this, but with the Juan Alridge Tigres result being a Tigres win as it stands, if San Jose won this match, then they'd go through in second place. Um, anyway, Nueva Chicago versus Racing is a Racing win. 
Aldo City versus San Lorenzo is a San Lorenzo win. River Plate versus Banfield is going to be a River win, but it should be a very entertaining game. Two very attacking sides. Um, so watch that one if you're only going to watch a couple of games each weekend. Is that a penalty to River? No, it's not. San Martín de San Juan versus Olimpo. It would appear that I have a River supporting neighbour. Yes. San Martín de San Juan versus Olimpo is going to be a San Martín win. Uh, Lanús versus Boca Juniors is a draw. It's Boca's first really tricky game of the week of the year. Uh, Quilmes versus Unión de Santa Fe on Monday night is going to be a Quilmes win, and then we have two games that are taking place on Tuesday because of um, senatorial no uh, local government elections in Santa Fe province. Colón de Santa Fe versus Atlético de Rafaela is a draw, and Newell's Old Boys versus Godoy Cruz is going to be a Newell's Old Boys win. Any thoughts on those gentlemen? No, the the the, the only time I, I said something different, it didn't result. So it's okay. Really? No, I completely agree with you. I'm usually very wrong when it comes to predicting matches. So as you said before, these are things that are not going to happen this weekend. Indeed. Um, the Arsenal asterisk, by the way, uh, is one of the more interesting stories of the weekend, and I'm slightly embarrassed to have forgotten to mention it during the podcast proper. Uh, Arsenal this are indeed beat Newell's Old Boys 3-0, with Santiago Silva scoring twice, and they might very well have the results scrubbed. They should have the results scrubbed, because one of the players that Arsenal this are indeed fielded, Leandro Godoy, was still suspended. He picked up a red card a couple of weeks ago in a reserve match. He was suspended by the AFA for two first-team games, and they thought, Arsenal thought, that he'd only been suspended for one. So they put him in the team. He played. Um, slightly ridiculously, AFA regulations mean that Newell's had to actually appeal uh, for the points to be taken off. And it's not entirely clear whether Newell's are going to get the points themselves or whether they'll just be disappear into the ether. Um, rather than the AFA saying, well, hang on, you played to suspend the player so you lose the points, which is what should happen, in my opinion. Um, but yesterday evening, Newell's decided that they were indeed going to, to make that appeal. Um, so really, it should be an open and shut case. Arsenal should have those points taken off. Um, and they're very silly for having done so, particularly given the form they're in. But you would think at least that that win has given Martin Palermo a week or two of breathing space, right? Because there was talk that he was going to get sacked if they failed to win that match. Yes, does he, does he get sacked if they win the match and then the points get scrubbed? But it shouldn't count as a defeat because they won. Of course, it's exactly. an board's view. An administrative purpose and means that they. Of course, it's a mistake. Of Palermo mistake also because he must be. He must take care of these kind of things and and not include a player that is banned. But would he? But I mean, didn't they get the memo? So, or so how does this else? happen? That's the thing. Surely somebody else at Arsenal is the person who's in charge of receiving the administrative stuff from the AFA. Palermo's in charge of managing the team, training the team, deciding the tactics. You would think that somebody in the offices is getting the administrative stuff from AFA and is saying to Palermo, by the way, these players are suspended this weekend. I mean, don't get me wrong. I went on and confirmed in 30 seconds on the AFA website that he was suspended once I'd heard that this has happened. Uh, It's there publicly. So it's not like Palermo couldn't do it himself. Uh, Juan Alvarez had just scored, by the way, which at the moment now means River need to win if it stays like this, by two goals um, to go through on goal scored. Um, I, I, I did it in 30 seconds. Anybody, any of you can do it on, on the AFA website. It, the memo's there. It says to spend it for two matches. But you wouldn't have thought that that's Palermo's job. I mean, he can do it. 
but you'd have thought there's somebody else at Arsenal whose job is to check that stuff and to get the memos from the AFA and so on. River have just scored. I'm going to tweet those in a second, but before I do, uh, I think it's now time on this cliffhanger uh, to say goodbye for now. I think all three of us are going to just sit on my sofa and watch the end of this match now. Um, my girlfriend's already said that she doesn't mind and she's not here at the moment, thankfully. Uh, so we're going to do that. And perhaps if River qualify and we're in a good mood, we might just come back and, and tell you what happened afterwards. And if they don't and we're in a bad mood, I think we're going to have to now that I've just said that. So for now, thank you very much indeed to Argentina Independent, as ever, for providing our fernet, without which we could record Hand of Pod and it would probably be a slightly better podcast, but it wouldn't be anywhere near as enjoyable um, for us to record. So thank you very much to Argentina Independent, argentinaindependent.com, an excellent source of English language, news, current affairs, culture, and lots of other stuff. Go and visit them. Uh, and for now, it's goodbye and good night and thank you from Andres. Goodbye, thank you. Uh, goodbye, welcome to Underpod, and please come back to Remy. Uh, with a lot of pleasure. And goodbye from me. Goodbye. We're back for our little Hunter Pod epilogue, and in a quite incredible finish, River Plate uh, won 3-0 at home to San Jose, and Tigres Reserves beat Juan Arich 5-4 in a match that, as Marcelo Gachardo has just said on the television, was not fit for people who have heart problems. Um, gentlemen, I tweeted towards the end of River's match last week when they were still 2-0 down away to Tigres that if they managed to qualify from the group stage from that point then everybody should bet their houses on them winning the Copa Libertadores. They have managed to qualify with exactly the same two scorelines, a 3-0 win for them and a 5-4 in the other game as happened in the final matches of San Lorenzo's uh, group stage last year when of course San Lorenzo went on to win the trophy. So does this mean that River are nailed on for the Copa Libertadores now? Well, they should improve their uh, their game. I mean, they, they had quite some luck with yeah, the Tigre reserve. Worse in many cases. Yeah, I think they they should thank the Tigres players. I don't know what their what gift they will be sending to Mexico, but um, they they have to because if it wasn't for the Tigres players, um, River would have would have would have not qualified. No. Of course, the River must improve. That's something real. But when you were at the bottom of the sea. And now you you see yourself in the surface. Now you have to celebrate, and then of course, up, up to when when River uh, uh, as soon as River knows the 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 rivals, they will have of course focus on on improve a lot because uh, having to to depend on, on the result of other match means that well, in fact they they they, they haven't won they haven't won any single match up to tonight. So that says everything. Yeah, the uh, group stage, uh, the knockout stage, sorry, draw for the Libertadores is not in fact a draw, it's seeded. Uh, the best group winner goes against the worst group runner-up, the second best group winner goes against the second worst runner-up, and so on. Um, and at the moment, as things currently stand, there is a very real chance that we're going to therefore have three Super Clásicos, one in the league and two in the last 16 of the Libertadores, just a couple of weeks apart. Of course, Hand the Pod will bring you previews of all of those if they come to pass, but for now, from three very, very relieved River fans uh, on Hand of Pod. It is goodbye and thank you for listening, and we will see you again next week. <laughs>